0: Would you say the church is more like an orchestra or a football team? I'm Lance Leffler, and we'll tackle this congregational conundrum today on God Meets the Grind. Congregational conundrum. I like that. Not just because I made it up. Okay, we're not solving any great mystery today. Well, not totally, But if you think a picture is worth a thousand words, I think I've found one, or two, that capture what unity is like. And that saves us a thousand words, or two. So, grab your helmet and your tuba, and let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Listen to verses 1 through 5. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Unity is the problem for churches. And it makes sense, I guess. As individuals, we're all different. We all have different opinions, backgrounds, stuff we're going through. So how do we approach relationships in the church community? Let's break this down. In verse 1, Paul has a strange way of starting. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, I think what Paul is doing is grounding his challenge to unity in these basic truths about being followers of Jesus together. These are our commonalities— If we're going to have unity, it's going to be by prioritizing what we have in common. In other words, by circling around the cross of Christ. On to verse 2. Oh, before I read it, notice how he starts off with, Complete my joy. I just like how he sticks that in there. It will fill me with joy if you do this. Okay, verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and one mind. Paul basically says the same thing four different ways. Same mind, same love. always think of that Bob Marley song, One Love. Full accord and one mind. He's stating his point multiple ways for emphasis. It's like when I was a kid, my mom would always say, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times, clean up your room. It took me a while, but I started to get the distinct impression that cleaning my room was important to my mom. So let's talk about unity, or if you like, harmony. I said a minute ago that unity really revolves around our commonalities in Christ. But just to drive it home, Paul is going to offer another key to humility, or the ultimate grounds for it. In verse 3, he says, In humility, count others more significant. So let's talk about this odd topic of humility. Most of us would shy away from calling ourselves humble. You know how it is. If someone says, Yeah, I think I'm humble. We all roll our eyes and elbow each other because we know we've got a real sucker on our hands, because we know how much we struggle with pride, and in a paradoxical way, claiming to be humble sounds prideful. But is it? The topic of humility is endlessly fascinating to me, starting with, how in the heck do you define it? Well, pride, which is the opposite of humility, is thinking, I'm all that in a bag of chips, thinking much of myself. So humility must be thinking less of myself. But this ends up with us walking around always putting ourselves down. A little of that is fine if you do it the right way. I mean, I love self-deprecating people as much as the next guy. But if you do that enough, it gives off the stink of being self-absorbed. And that's pride. And we're back where we started. So, I'm humbly going to suggest we go in a different direction. Here's my favorite definition of humility from the great author C.S. Lewis. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves but thinking of ourselves less. Then Paul adds this in verse 3, count others more significant than yourselves. I always thought that when Paul said count others more significant, he was talking about how to think, that we're actually to think, okay, everybody in the room is more important than me. But the focus of this context is on serving others, not on what we think about them. So the way we consider others more significant is how we treat them. We could sit there forever muttering to ourselves, how's she better than me? She's obviously not been to the gym lately. I'd be flat out lying if I said she was better than me, and we're not supposed to lie. Look, we have to face the fact that some people are just more awesome, right? How in the world do you expect Taylor Swift or Tom Cruise to make sense of this verse? It's not going to happen. That was a joke, by the way. That's probably why the focus is on serving. The author and Christian leader Tim Keller said, the gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself or less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. Did you ever play in an orchestra? I played in a loud, not always great sounding garage band in high school, but never an orchestra. The modern orchestra just might be a miracle. Music is a miracle. Again, not necessarily my band in high school, but the orchestra. A full-scale symphony orchestra consists of 100 musicians or more. Think about that. If you're a member of this orchestra, you are 1 100th of the band or less. And there are multiple people playing each instrument. So if you play the violin, there might be 20 other violinists besides you. It's hard to stand out except maybe when you hit a wrong note. So your contribution, which is essential to creating the overall sound, will nonetheless go largely unnoticed. It's not about you. It's about us all together. I don't know much about music, but I know this. Everybody in the orchestra plays in the same key, essentially. The church plays in one key also, the key of Christ, if you will. And here's the miracle of music. The musicians can be playing completely different runs or chords from each other and playing radically different instruments. Consider how opposite the cello and the tuba are, or the timpani drums and the oboe. And yet it all comes together to make one wonderful sound. It's the most fantastic thing you can hear on earth, matched perhaps only by the sound of a steak sizzling on the grill. But to get that harmony right, to make that beautiful sound, we need to consider everyone's contribution. We need to have all those different instruments. Every team sport is the same way. Different players playing different roles. And maybe something like football fits the picture of the church even better than a symphony orchestra. Here's why. The thing about the symphony is you hardly ever hear anyone mess up. Whereas in football, there are mistakes galore. Missed routes, missed tackles, offsides, neutral zone infractions. That's more like church. Except no one tries to mess up a football play. Church can be a little messier than football, if you know what I mean. The proud person... The person who stirs up strife is usually not content in Christ. Years ago, I read a great little book titled, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, by Philip Keller, not to be confused with Tim Keller, who I just quoted. You know Psalm 23? It's the famous psalm you hear in every graveside funeral scene in the movies. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, etc., well, Philip Keller, who pursued multiple careers during his life, actually did a stint as a shepherd. So he goes through the psalm giving insights from his experience. When he's talking about taking the sheep onto green pastures and how content they are in their shepherd's care, he makes this comment. To me, it's a defining mark of a humble person. Keller says, The person who is willing to pocket his pride to take a backseat To play second fiddle without a feeling of being abused or put upon has gone a long way onto new ground with God. And then he adds, there is tremendous emancipation from self in this attitude. One is set free from the shackles of personal pride. And then the biggie, the statement I've never forgotten. He finishes by saying, it's pretty hard to hurt such a person. Do you know people you have to walk on eggshells around? people we refer to as sensitive, quote-unquote. If Keller's right, they're not humble, and their sensitivity typically doesn't promote harmony in the church. We don't usually think of humility or pride in these terms, but I would suggest they're appropriate and necessary. To further ground this argument for unity through humility, in the next few verses, Paul's going to take us on an exploration of the humiliation of Christ. We'll look at that next time on God Needs the grunt